You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We'll get to those stories in just a moment. But first, a bombshell report today from the Ethics Commissioner in the SNC-Lavalin affair. In short, the Prime Minister broke the rules. The report, damning for Justin Trudeau, finds he violated the Ethics Act. It's vindication for then-Justice Minister and Attorney General Jody Wilson-Raybould. Ethics Commissioner Mario Dion saying the authority of the Prime Minister and his office was used to circumvent, undermine and ultimately attempt to discredit the decision of the Director of Public Prosecutions, as well as the authority of Miss Wilson-Raybould as the Crown's Chief Law Officer. Trudeau, the only PM to ever breach the Conflict of Interest Act, and as Global's Abigail Beeman reports, it's not his first time to do so while in office. In a bombshell 63-page report, Ethics Commissioner Mario Dion found Justin Trudeau pressured then-Justice Minister and Attorney General Jody Wilson-Raybould in many ways during the SNC-Lavalin affair. Even though I disagree with some of his conclusions, uh, I fully accept this report uh, and take responsibility uh, for everything that happened. All along, the Prime Minister has maintained he didn't inappropriately pressure Wilson-Raybould to change her mind about granting what's called a deferred prosecution agreement to SNC-Lavalin in its criminal case, because it was all about saving jobs and no change in tune today. I can't apologize for standing up for Canadian jobs. Dion found otherwise, writing the authority of the Prime Minister and his office was used to circumvent, undermine and ultimately attempt to discredit the public prosecutor's decisions and Wilson-Raybould's authority. And he found all the tactics used to pressure Wilson-Raybould troubling. And Mr. Trudeau cannot be the Prime Minister of Canada. I certainly believe that there is enough evidence here to uh, warrant a, an RCMP investigation. The RCMP say they're looking into all of this and will take a appropriate action as required. The ethics commissioner poured over hundreds of pages of documents. He heard from 14 witnesses in addition to Trudeau, including Wilson-Raybould, Finance Minister Bill Morneau, key PMO staffers Mathieu Bouchard, Jerry Butts, and Katie Telford. Trudeau was asked repeatedly if he would fire anyone, he wouldn't answer directly. There are many lessons to be learned on this, and that's why we will be moving forward uh, with the recommendations saying they'll make changes based on the new report from former Liberal Justice Minister Anne McClellan, but she didn't recommend splitting the dual role of Attorney General and Justice Minister. As for what happens next, there are no direct consequences from these findings, but the SNC-Lavalin affair dragged the Liberals down in the polls months ago. Now there's an election around the corner, and you can bet the opposition parties will make sure this breach takes center stage. Abigail Beeman, Global News, Ottawa. Especially out here in B.C., Keith Baldry joins us now with more on Jody Wilson-Raybould's response to this report today and what the political ramifications could be in our province. Keith? Yeah, yeah. somewhat surprisingly, Jody Wilson-Raybould declined uh, all sorts of interview requests and requests to go on camera. Uh, she's running for election as an independent. I think she needs all the publicity she can get. But she certainly released a very strongly worded statement, basically saying she's been vindicated here. So she, the statement in, reads in part, it represents a vindication of the independent role of the attorney general and of the director of public prosecutions in criminal prosecutions and reinforces for Canadians how essential it is to our democracy to uphold the rule of 
of law and prosecutorial independence. That's just a little bit of what Jody Wilson-Raybould had to say today. Now, the political ramifications could be extraordinary, particularly in B.C., where the Liberals had a breakthrough in 2015. Uh, but some of those writings, I think, are potentially vulnerable because of issues such as this. The ones they won narrowly, such as Mission, Matsqui, Fraser Canyon, a squeaker, just 2.3 percent margin of victory, a little more than 1,000 votes. Right next door, Pitt Meadows, Maple Ridge, a similar squeaker of a victory for the Liberals. These are traditional conservative writings. And again, in that area, Coquitlam, Port Coquitlam, a little stronger there, but still the margin of victory, not very much in 2015. They did win a by-election in a traditionally a very strong riding of South Surrey White Rock in 2017, albeit by a narrow margin of just a little more than 1,600 votes. And even in another conservative stronghold, I think the Liberals have to be nervous about their chances in Kelowna Lake Country. That's traditional conservative territory. Trudeau mania got these ridings into the Liberal camp, Chris, and it's hard to say mm -hmm. how Trudeau mania will continue to hang around as a result of this particular SNC-Lavalin scandal in B.C. Earlier, you heard the calls for the criminal investigation. Is there a clear path out of this mess for the Prime Minister? Well, a criminal investigation sort of changes everything. If the RCMP get involved here and announce that publicly, no guarantee they would announce that. I kind of think they're not going to. Uh, that presents a whole different challenge for Mr. Trudeau. But, again, this ha all happened in the dog days of August. People aren't paying attention to politics. It's up to Mr. Scheer and Mr. Singh to resurrect this issue in the fall campaign. Uh, but it's going to have to compete with other issues, such as climate change and economic stability, and those work for Justin Trudeau. But he's got to keep people's minds on those issues and away from this one. All right. Thanks very much. Keith Baldry, live in Victoria for us. Now to the parole board decision for one of two young men who brutally sexually assaulted and killed Vancouver Island teen Kimberly Proctor. Cruz Wellwood denied parole today. Kylie Stanton explains the reasons why and spoke to Proctor's family who feel the process is an unnecessary burden on victims' families. This family knew the day would come, but never thought it would be so soon. It's literally been a monkey on our backs. The idea of one of their daughter's killers possibly walking free a mere nine years after being horrifically raped and murdered is difficult to even imagine. People like this should be just locked up permanently key thrown away. In March of 2010, 18-year-old Kimberly Proctor was killed by two classmates, Cruz Wellwood and Cameron Moffat. Her mutilated body found along the Galloping Goose Trail in Colwood. A year later, the then 16 and 17-year-olds were sentenced to life in prison with no chance of parole for 10 years. Cruz Wellwood was the first to make an application. There's a law, and the Canadian law is, unfortunately, he has a right. The Proctors first learned of Wellwood's application back in January. He was looking for day parole and escorted trips from the medium security mission institution where he's serving his sentence. The hearing was originally scheduled for June and postponed until now. But the family knows this is just the beginning. This is our life from now on. I mean, we have two offenders to deal with, so it's going to be a revolving door through here. This time, the decision went their way. Parole was denied. The board citing the undue risk Wellwood poses to the public and the results of a recent psychiatric evaluation where it was determined he has ongoing psychopathic traits. But the proctors say the emotional toll of the process is unfair to victims' families and something needs to change. Free citizens across the whole country should be concerned. I think we need to have a referendum on what really should happen as far as life sentences and, and parole. We're the ones serving the life sentence. We truly are the lifers, we are. not these guys. Wellwood is eligible to apply for full parole in June of next year. Kylie Stanton, Global News. 
For the second time in as many days, the province's police watchdog has been called in to investigate an incident involving Surrey RCMP. An officer allegedly fired on a man who was said to be wielding a machete outside the Gateway Shelter in Wally early this morning. You can see what appears to be the weapon on the ground, surrounded by cones. The man doesn't live at Gateway, but according to a shelter spokesperson, he had overdosed and was provided with naloxone. Sometime later, he had a violent outburst after the apparent theft of his belongings. That's when the police were called in. One witness, uh, who at one point chased the armed man, describes the scene. And had a machete over his head like he was going to swing. And yeah, one armed girl that he was going to swing at. And uh, me and a couple other guys just went after him. And uh, somebody sprayed him with bear spray. We chased him around to the back of the building. Cops showed up and uh, he basically charged one other guy. And when he was charging that guy, he yelled, shoot him. And the cop, I guess, no other choice, had to shoot him. The man was rushed to hospital and is expected to survive. No one else was injured. The Independent Investigation Office is investigating. For the second day in a row, surprise truck inspections have pulled many unsafe rigs off the road. The number that failed basic safety tests, resulting in tickets, is about 80%. And even the head of the B.C. Trucking Association says it's time for a crackdown. Ted Chernecki reports. When they do crash, they crash big, often involving death. On average, over the past 10 years in B.C., 300 people die on our roads every year with almost 20% of those fatal collisions involving commercial vehicles. That was the startling number to come from an independent audit released last December. You know, a blown tire on a heavy truck can cause severe damage, cause an accident. That's one reason for this series of SNAP commercial vehicle inspections. And what they're finding shouldn't comfort anyone. A lot of commercial vehicles um, are exhibiting a lot of uh, infractions, uh, not following some of the commercial vehicle regulations. Today's inspections were similar to yesterday's, where at one point they were handing out tickets to 80% of the vehicles pulled over. Of course, they only pull over the sketchy-looking vehicles anyway, but still, the BC Trucking Association welcomes these inspections. Our members are very, very supportive of any enforcement action that CVSE undertakes that's designed uh, to improve outcomes, and we'd certainly like to see more of these types of inspections in the Lower Mainland and around the province. One trucker near Salmon Arm sent us this dash cam video last night showing another semi passing him on a double solid line, just as his lane was merging into one. Truck drivers want more safety enhancement. Well, I've seen death. I see a dump truck fully loaded, flatten a little Triumph car, and uh, it traumatized me. It traumatized me. I was uh, traumatized for like two months. BC's Trucking Association is encouraging Victoria to follow up on the many recommendations made in that recent audit. Things like mandatory commercial driver training and holding private inspection facilities accountable. Until we start getting to the point where these inspections are done and the vast majority of vehicles are found to be completely compliant and safe to be on the road. Ted Chernecki, Global News. A wild collision in downtown Kelowna this afternoon involving a big rig that looks a little bit like a movie stunt. That black Corvette became partially pinned underneath the semi-truck. The driver of the semi says he was making a wide left turn when the Corvette pulled up on the left right beside him. The Corvette wound up wedged underneath the trailer. Both drivers appeared to be okay. 
A potential new lead tonight in the suspected sabotage of the Sea to Sky gondola last weekend. RCMP have cast a wide net in their investigation, looking at all options. And Jordan Armstrong joins us now to explain the similarities in a number of other recent cases of vandalism. Jordan. Chris, we stress off the top here that no definitive link has been made in these cases. But as you mentioned, police aren't ruling anything out at this point. You'll recall that early last month, we reported on four cases of vandalism done to hydro transformer boxes in North Vancouver. Deliberate cuts were made to the boxes. One had holes drilled in it, leading to an oil spill. A fire occurred in one case, along with an explosion. The cases were unusual because they seemed to be pure sabotage that involved a high level of risk with no evidence of theft. Tonight, Global News has learned of additional vandalism to hydro transformers. There have now been a total of nine, not four, similar cases on the North Shore since April. And RCMP say they have a person of interest they are currently investigating. A person they confirm is not in custody. It begs the question, could there be a link to the gondola vandalism just up the highway in Squamish? Geographically, of course, the cases are not far apart, and both involved metal dangerously being cut under the cover of darkness not your typical vandalism. Here's what Squamish RCMP told us today. Quote, it would be premature to comment at this time as the investigation is ongoing. All possible avenues are being taken into consideration. SFU criminologist Dr. Rob Gordon is not linking the two cases, but he points out vandalism is typically spontaneous and typically committed by young people. And he finds it interesting that in Squamish, there's been no claim of responsibility yet. And I've been waiting uh, for an announcement of some kind from uh, an eco-terrorist group to the effect that they've been uh, responsible for it and that there will be more to follow. Um, not seen that yet. The question is then who's behind it and why. Um, so it's, it's, it's an interesting case. And again, it could all be coincidence, but it makes you wonder, and given that RCMP have said they're looking at all options, apparently they're wondering too. Chris. Very intriguing. All right, thanks very much, Jordan. TransLink is showing off the first in a new fleet of double-decker buses that will roll into Richmond, Delta, and Surrey starting in October. The announcement follows a successful four-month pilot project. The first of 32 double-deckers have arrived to expand the current fleet and replace aging highway coaches. An order of 25 more is scheduled to arrive by fall 2020. They'll be on the 301 and the 620 uh, starting October. The 301 is to connects Richmond to Surrey, and 620 connects um, Bridgeport Station on the Kenna Line all the way to the Tawasin Ferry Terminal. The new buses feature almost double the seats of a highway coach, plug-in USB charging outlets, and of course panoramic views from the upper deck. Funding is being provided through the federal gas tax and through TransLink. More questions than answers tonight about hundreds of pounds of Dungeness crab found rotting in a field in Maple Ridge. As you can imagine, the crustaceans are creating quite a smell. John Waugh has more on what it's believed or when it's believed they were dumped there and whose job it is to clean it up. Walking into this farmer's field, it's the smell that gives it away. It's like an ocean disgusting rotting smell. It's so gross. Kayla Klein and Brayden McCamey made the discovery near the Albion Fairgrounds in Maple Ridge. A whole new meaning to surf and turf, hundreds of crabs were dumped and left to decay. 
it's just bad. It's, it, could, it could bring all these animals in and it really, really mess with the ecosystem as well. Now looking at these three piles of crabs, according to their bellies, all of them appear to be male. They also seem to be the appropriate size to be kept, which has left many wondering why would someone dump hundreds of crabs into this field? And why have they been left to rot for weeks? I just get a whiff of it and I'm like, oh God. Literally imagine having seafood sit in one place with just the sun beaming on it for three weeks and walk past it. Fisheries and Oceans Canada is investigating offering this statement. Approximately 1,500 pounds was dumped in a farmer's field in the Maple Ridge area, likely around July 24th or 25th. This incident violates the Fisheries Act and its regulations, which prohibits the waste of any fish that is suitable for human consumption. Along the dock at Belcara Regional Park, crab fishing enthusiasts who know the rules call this act a horrible waste. No, it's not supposed to be like that. Don't waste it. Yeah. No, it's, it's sad. It, it just doesn't make sense. This isn't the first time Fisheries and Oceans Canada released notices of two similar incidents in April, further north along Highway 16. Still, no answers about possible motive and who's behind it. It's so odd that people can just dump their stuff here and it's disgusting. Global News reached the farm owners who are making plans to deal with the mess, hoping the illegal crab dumpers are the next to be caught. John Hua, Global News. A deadly fight with no witnesses, no surveillance and no answers. The word traumatizing comes to mind because, you know, those wounds just get opened again and again and again. Right now, though, the police watchdog has wrapped its investigation but there's still no word on whether Vancouver police will face charges in the death of Miles Gray. Gray died in a fatal struggle with police four years ago in what started out as a call about a man spraying a woman with a garden hose. His family tells our Sarah McDonald why they're frustrated and feel like they're left in the dark. I love this picture. It's just another beat shot, but it's very poignant. It's been four years since the death of her son during a violent encounter with Vancouver police officers and still no answers, let alone closure for Margie Gray. Those wounds just get opened again and again and again every time you have to go back to day one. Her son, Miles, then 33 years old, was in Vancouver on business from the Sunshine Coast in August of 2015. He never made it home. Four years later, we're still none the wiser. We still have no VPD officers' names. We have no civilian witnesses. Gray suffered traumatic injuries allegedly at the hands of officers, initially responding to a complaint of a man spraying a woman with a garden hose. She said nothing. I, d I don't know the woman's name. But to this date, she has said absolutely nothing. An autopsy revealing Gray sustained multiple broken bones, a fractured voice box, eye socket and sternum, and a ruptured testicle, among other injuries, in the encounter with officers who could be charged, but that's in the hands of Crown Counsel. Absolutely, they should be charged. Yes, 100%, absolutely. They need to be held accountable for what they did to him. The province's police watchdog filing a report for consideration of charges months ago after an arduous investigation hindered by a lack of cooperation by officers. Some also hospitalized for injuries after that altercation with Gray, who was unarmed and not intoxicated. When you find out all the details of what they did to him, it's atrocious. 
Now Gray's family is once again pushing for charges and witnesses, with no civilians or surveillance footage bearing witness to an altercation still shrouded in mystery. The cumulative effect of the last four years essentially has been one box of files has been moved from one office to another office. The BC Prosecution Service calling this case complex, telling Global News there is no timeline for completion of its charge assessment process. The IIO and Vancouver Police declining to comment on this case. Sarah McDonald's Global News, Seashelt. A warning tonight from an Okanagan woman who lost $900 in an elaborate phone scam. As Claudia Van Emmerich reports, she hopes her story will stop others from falling victim. You're talking with the legitimate company, ma'am. You don't have to worry about anything. Do not talk with anyone. Cindy Rafuse listens to the voice of a man who she says helped scam her out of hundreds of dollars. Last Friday, the Kelowna woman got a call from a man telling her he was from the Microsoft Windows refund department. He offered her $399 if she wanted to cancel her Microsoft account. I had no idea if I had one or not. I don't know. I'm never on the computer. So I don't know if I had a Microsoft. Being on a fixed income, Rayfuse was enticed by the idea of getting $400. She followed the man's instructions, opening up an online banking account and punching in all her personal banking information. They tell me what to type in and sure enough he has control of the mouse. Now they have control of my computer. The scammers then told her they made a mistake and accidentally deposited an extra $2,000 into her account on top of that promised $400 refund. He says, well, the mistake's made. I'm going to lose my job. We need to get that money back as soon as possible. To do that, Rayfuse was told to go buy these. Well, these are Google Play cards, what they asked me to go and pick up. $900 worth. Rayfuse thought she was using the scammer's money to make the purchase, but it turned out not only had the con artists gained control of her banking when she gave them control of her computer, they had moved the cash from her savings into her checking account. I only had $2,400 in my account. That's just about half of my savings already. Rayfuse was going to buy another $900 worth of Google Play cards the next day. But after giving the scammers all the Play card activation codes, she realized something wasn't right. Rayfuse hopes others learn from her mistake. Do not give out any information. If somebody offers you money, it's a lie. Claudia Van Emmer, Global News, Kelowna. Toilet plungers haven't really evolved much over the years, even though the shapes of toilet bowls have changed quite a bit. Now, a plumber turned inventor in Saskatoon is hoping to revolutionize the industry, tweaking the tried and true device. Global's Ryan Kessler plunges into the story. Someone's got to plug toilets, so... It's a dirty job, but Bob Ginther is ready to do it. This Saskatoon man is one proud plumber. I knew I could make good money, and I had the stomach to do the job. And, uh, yeah, I just dove in. <laughs> For 10 years, clogged toilets have been his business. Yep, there it is. She's plugged. This plunger is his latest solution. The secret is in the triangular head. Traditional plungers have a circular rubber end, but the patented tri-plunger is shaped more like a toilet opening. That's why I put this little ribbing on here to keep it from slipping and sliding more. End of May, he has rolled up his sleeves and sold 250 tri-plungers through a pair of Saskatoon co-op home centers. Pretty passionate guy. He uh, loves his, his industry. He's committed to this product and he's got gone through a few different 
versions. And just so happens, I love toilets the best out of all the jobs too. I, lo- I love toilets the best. Ginther wants to put the triplunger on shelves in other stores. One day he hopes to sell it online too, hoping it all pays off for his single income family. My wife has MS and I want to make her life just as comfortable as can be. That's what I want to do. Should this plunger create a fortune, he wants to fund MS research and find a cure. But for now, he's focused on paying off the $120,000 he sank into the invention in hopes of becoming flush with cash. Ryan Kessler, Global News. Breaking news in an ongoing story from Philadelphia where police are in a standoff with an active shooter who's holed up in a house in the northern part of the city. So far, at least six officers have been hurt, one of them apparently grazed by a bullet in the head. All six are in stable condition. The suspect is apparently not cooperating with police, and so far negotiators have been unable to make contact with him. It is still an active scene, and if there are any new developments... We will pass them along to you. In the meantime, signs uh, another global recession could be looming or rattling the American markets. The Dow Jones plunging sharply today, falling 800 points. That's the biggest drop so far this year. The symbol of Wall Street might be a steadfast bull, but traders reacted like skittish colts to today's news. A key signal that a recession may well be just around the corner since the Dow plunging 800 points. Diane Swank, chief economist at Grant Thornton, says investors are fleeing stocks for safety in bonds. The easiest way to understand it is that basically long-term rates, anything that's out there that's more than a year or two years or three years or four years, those rates are now lower than short-term rates. It means you're not willing to place a bet on the future. And that's the fear, is that this could actually trigger a credit crisis. But it doesn't mean a recession is imminent. Historically, it could take 18 to 24 months to arrive, if at all. In this case, a recession could come right around the 2020 election. The other factor influencing the market sell-off, a global economic slowdown. China, embroiled in a trade war with the U.S., reported its slowest growth figures since 1992. Japan's economic growth decreased to 1.8 percent. Germany's economy shrank with exports lagging, and much of Europe followed suit, with production plunging the most in three years as its economic expansion cools. This will undoubtedly put pressure on the Federal Reserve and its chairman, Jerome Powell, to cut interest rates. Powell has been a target of withering criticism from President Trump over the Fed's monetary policies. Don Daler, CBS News, New York. A frightening consequence of distracted driving. A dash cam catches the moment a car loses control and slams into a pole in Berlin, Massachusetts. According to local police, the driver was texting behind the wheel. Somehow they walked away with only minor injuries. Officers released this video to educate the public on what can happen if you text and drive. In Health Matters tonight, a new eye-catching device designed to help seniors maintain their balance is being tested in Japan. Researchers have created a meter-long robotic tail that mimics the movements of an exotic cat's tail. It's called the RQ. It attaches at the waist and uses four artificial muscles and compressed air to move in eight different directions. When the wearer tilts one way, the tail moves to the other side to counterbalance the weight. Don't expect to see these anytime soon. They are still in the development stage. 
Teenage climate, climate change activist Greta Thunberg is setting sail across the Atlantic. The young Swede is heading to North and South America for two climate conferences. Instead of flying, the 16-year-old is making the journey on a sailboat to minimize her carbon footprint. As Redmond Shannon reports, it's no pleasure cruise. Greta Thunberg's last steps on dry land for two weeks as she heads off to conferences in the U.S. and Chile. It's one year since she founded the school strike movement, since becoming the global voice and face of climate action. And that means she faces heavy criticism and sinister online trolling. Her preparations for the trip completed with some secrecy. I haven't been public about where I'm going, so, uh, but I have been welcomed by people who I know and who are helping me. Many media questions echoing online trolls. And I have attended several conferences and meetings by video link, but uh, unfortunately um, my experience is that those uh, attendances doesn't get any attention. I mean, I am not telling anyone what to do or what not to do. I am one of the very, very few people in the world who actually can do this. Uh, teenagers and children, it is not our responsibility. Thunberg hasn't said how she'll get back in December. She'll only get home for Christmas if she flies. Redmond Shannon, Global News, London. Still to come, the PNE loses an icon. Over the past several decades, there's a very good chance you've seen or enjoyed Hunky Bill's famous pierogies. We'll have more on his legacy and thoughts from the family coming up after the forecast. We'll check in with Christy right now on a beautiful summer evening out there. And yes, we love water. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I have a question for you tonight to kick things off. Does it use less water to use a dishwasher or wash dishes by hand? We weren't sure about this one. It's actually a good question. We'll give you the answer a little bit later. Uh, first, though, this morning, some fog. You may have seen it if you're on Vancouver Island near the water. So much humidity in the air today. And we felt that even in the afternoon once that fog dissipated, temperatures warmed up. But look at the spread, 24 to 28. Uh, so the humidex level increasing by a good 4 or 5 degrees. Typically, we would see a spread of 2 or 3. But uh, this was quite uh, humid today, that's for sure sure. And we will see it again tonight and through the day tomorrow. So overnight, we may see that hum relative humidity increase to 90%, potentially some fog near the water's edge. And then as soon as things warm up, uh, that humidity or relative humidity will decrease. However, it will still feel the humidity in the afternoon and it will feel hotter than the numbers that we're expecting. Across the region tomorrow, we'll see heavy rain and wind across the north, but southern BC will be sunny. Showers uh, easing off to shower hours across the north but continuing with sunshine in the south so here's your forecast there's that wind and rain for northern bc northeastern sections in particular southern bc you may see a little bit of cloud in the afternoon but that would be about it sunny and hot other than a bit of fog potentially in the morning along the water's edge and we'll see a range in temperature from 23 to 27 degrees but the relative humidity may make it feel a little hotter than that and here's the answer to your question if you have a choice to use a wa dishwasher or wash dish Okay, so sorry, I can't see. If you have a choice, uh, use the dishwasher because running a full dishwasher usually uses less water than hand washing. That's if you pack it really well. Exactly. Of course, and right? apparently, you are an expert packer. 
I have it down. You have it down. Don't mess with my dishwasher packing. It's a very good skill to have. <laughs> Uh, yes, we love water. Very mm -hmm. cool. Thanks very much, Christy. And um, wait, wait a minute. There's a skill to packing a dishwasher. Oh, there is. Yeah. Really? Yeah, there definitely is. All right. It's, maybe uh, I'll take a class. Yes, you should. Uh, yeah. Hunky Bill, the Hunky Bill pierogi maker. His, his history down to the PNE. It's legendary. Well, unfortunately, um, yes, he died at the age of 88, mm -hmm. and uh, that doesn't mean that Hunky Bill's pierogies are going away, because all his family worked for him. Generations. And, and yes, it was a generational thing. Uh, Hunky was in the media at one time. He was a great salesman. He was a great promotions guy. Hung around the racetrack, owned mm -hmm. some horses. But most of all, this guy knew good food. It's a sad day, absolutely. But, uh, you know, Dad always said the show must go on. See them, how they're getting nice and golden brown there? We'll go through four tons of pierogies in the 15 days. And Hunky Bill was a showman. His pierogi stand has been a fixture at the PE since 1966. Over easy up. But he only got into the food business because his boys liked the sausages from his hometown of Winnipeg better than the ones in Vancouver. I bought hot dog, the winner. Uh, one kid uh, bought, uh, bit it, spit it out. Second one did the same thing. They said, you try it, Dad. So I tried it. I spit it out. It's going to be sad to be without my grandpa. You know, he's always a presence around. Always go, still doing things even though he's 88. Working hard to the last minute, right? Yeah. 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 But, you know, he's here in spirit. Well, we can feel him in the booth, so it'll be, it'll be different, but it'll be good. When Bill started at the PE, not a lot of people knew what a pierogi was. So the salesman side of him went into high gear. A pierogi is a crescent-shaped type of dumpling, filled with a seasoned blend of potato and cheddar cheese, wrapped in a light dough similar to a crepe, fried till it's golden brown, served with or without a topping of sour cream. And sour cream is Ukrainian ice cream. He came up with this quip, if the colonel knew about chicken what Hunky Bill knows about pierogies, he would have been a general. <laughs> he really was one of the iconic uh, personalities at this fair in this city and really across Canada in the restaurant scene. He was a trailblazer and he just, he had a great zest for life. Another happy customer. Again, we win. <laughs> I love Bill, he was a great guy. You bet. <laughs> but the big question is, right. is Wayne Rooney gonna play? I sure hope so. No, a lot of people. There hasn't do. been much to watch at BC Place this year, so mm -hmm. Wayne Rooney would give Whitecaps fans something to see. I think he will. But everybody is wondering if he will play for DC United against the Whitecaps at BC Place on Saturday. Here's the good news: he had a cold last week, but he's been practicing this week, so it looks like he's over his bad cold. And another good point: he has played an artificial turf already this season in Cincinnati, which I am told is like playing on an old carpet. So BC Place turf is much better than the one they have in Cincinnati. As for the Whitecaps, I uh, don't think new signing Michael Chirinos will be ready to play. But forward Tosan Ricketts should be. He used to play for Toronto, but he's coming to the Whitecaps after leaving a club team in Lithuania where he scored eight goals in 15 games this year. Like you said, I, I did quite well. Scored a scored a lot of goals there in my short time. Um, but for any striker, goals is confidence. And I'm familiar with the league. I scored goals for TSC, and uh, I'm hoping to come here and do the same. Into the five minutes of time, and what a ball from Jovinko Fantasorio. Rick hits! It's 2-2 in stoppage time! 
I always wanted. You know, I was always interested in the Whitecaps um, since I left TSC. Uh, I decided to go to Lithuania to get some minutes, get some goals, get some playing time. You know, but uh, once uh, Whitecaps came knocking, it was a no-brainer, and I jumped right on it. Well, despite pulling out of last week's Northern Trust Tournament with soreness caused by his chronic back issues, Tiger Woods is going to play the BMW Championship starting tomorrow. In order to qualify for the Tour Championship, Tiger must finish 11th or better. He says he feels better, and pulling out after one round last week was a pretty smart move for him. It was nice to take those those days off, and I had to just let it calm down and... Uh get a bunch of treatment on it and uh it, it feels so much better and i played nine today i played the front nine and uh played quite well which was nice nice to see nice to feel um took the back nine off uh chipped and putted quite a bit and uh it it feels like uh like a, it definitely doesn't feel like it did on on friday that's for sure Canada's Braden Schnur understands the importance of hydrating. This is at the Audlin Brown today. The Canadian ranked 95th, taking on Akira Santalan of Australia. This is a great rally. And Schnur's going to win the point. Nice. But then his opponent wins a nice point as well by coming to the net. Schnur will be out there tomorrow. So will Leila Annie Fernandez. Uh, Schnur won the first set. He'd lose the second, but he would win this match in three sets. Kevin Biggio, Bo Bichette, Blue Jays. Some of their young guys against the uh, Texas Rangers. Danny Santana. Santana. Probably thanks to a black magic woman. Scores two for Texas. And then Elvis Andrus scores Santana. Elvis scores Santana. I know, it's classic rock station baseball. Elvis had four hits. Thank you very much. Um, Bo Bichette, though. There goes the runner. This kid, 17 games, 16 extra base hits. Incredible. Blue Jays lost, but Bichette puts on a show again. A lot of great talent has gone through the studios at CKNW over the last 75 years. One of the most dominant voices would have been Frosty. Yes, Brian Forst. Uh, the Frosty nickname apparently came because a lot of people would mix up the last name, which was Forced in the Frost. Yeah. He became Frosty. He was number one for a long time, and for a long time, well, for most of the time, he was at CKNW. He didn't like his picture taken, so a lot of people didn't even know what he looked like. <laughs> but we do have some file footage of him, and he graciously allowed us to film him this time. And now, a man whose wacky early morning antics are based on... For over 30 years, most Vancouverites woke up to the sound of this man's voice. That old fly on the windshield of life, here comes Big Al Davidson. And even though Brian Frosty Force was definitely the star of the show, he saw himself more as an MC of a cast of characters that revolved around him every morning. You just surround yourself with people and you know how to push that talent out of them and you just sit back and, and, and get the big checks while everybody else does the work. But that's not exactly true because Frosty never really stopped thinking of the show. My um, pockets were full of notes, 
and my bedside table and my car glove compartment and all these little tiny notes. I'd even wake up in the middle of the night and, and think of stuff and jot it down. By the way, does my chair bother you? Your chair? Yeah, can you he also it? had those two most important comedic weapons, fearlessness and timing. Like he just knew you'd be in the middle of conversation, but if he thought this is where it should end, it just ended, right? So, and it would be perfect. It would just be right into a commercial at just at the right moment. He was just so fast, uh, wit-wise, um, but he just knew what made great radio. And even though he had the highest rated show, he always spoke to an audience of one. I always feel you should be talking to one person. And the original person I was talking to was my mother, who was, um, I think I got a bit of a sense of humor from her because she was a Brit and she had a wild sense of humor and she was also very decent. So I would never swear and I'd be careful with my double entons. And after that, I was talking to me. Sort of like when he spoke to himself years before, when his great career was still a dream. And I remember looking up at the old Vancouver Hotel, and they had a huge neon sign up there for CKNW. And I was so into radio, as many people in the media feel about their business, that I thought to myself, I want to be the top guy on the top station in the city that I love. That's my goal. And I made it. <laughs> <laughs> Did he ever. Yeah, and, oh, and cool. the, the great thing about Frosty, well, if he took a run at you in the morning, mm -hmm. you kind of felt like somebody. Right. And if he never took a run at you, it's like, eh, didn't take a run at me. <laughs> I guess I'm not somebody. Not on his radar. You wanted to be on Frosty. That's radar, right. For sure. All right, enjoy the evening. That's all the time we have. Thanks very much for watching. Bon voyage. <laughs>